This episode is brought to you by ProMensal. We saw this so much in the early stages of the pandemic, I think, of we saw everyone else making sourdough, so we thought that we should make sourdough. And it's really like, do you want to, though? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Thriving in Menopause, brought to you by Prevention Magazine. I'm Andrea Deval, the editor of Prevention, and today we're chatting about the little voice inside our heads. It's a fact that the way we talk to ourselves can create a lot of unhappiness and at this point in our lives, we tend to be super busy juggling many things and when we're not perfect, it's easy for us to be pretty judgy and then feel guilty and frustrated. So how do we reframe this internal conversation? Today, I'm joined by Melbourne author Madeline Dore. Welcome, Madeline. Thanks so much for chatting with me, Andrea. I love your latest book. It's called, I love the title, I Didn't Do the Thing Today. Can you explain the title, what it means? It was a, it was a sentence that I would find myself uh, lamenting at the end of the day when I looked at my to-do list and saw all the unfinished things. And often there was one thing that I was quite prescriptive about doing, perhaps at a certain time, and, and it would feel like, oh, I didn't do that thing today. And so it it felt like the day was a complete waste or I felt like a failure for not doing the thing. And the thing could be anything. It could be that work thing, the, the exercise thing or the laundry thing. And it felt like there was this sort of narrowed feeling of because I didn't do that thing, I couldn't see the other things that I maybe had done in that day. And I hope that the title can and the book itself can help people see that maybe you didn't do the thing today. But that doesn't mean the day is an entire waste. There's so much that we can actually find to cherish in the day or learn from. I think it's interesting that you point out that we confuse productivity with worthiness. And so at this point where you go, oh, I didn't do the thing today, you're actually saying what a rubbish person I am. And I guess we set ourselves up to feel that enough is never enough. So mm. how do we get out of it? I think we are set up in a society that equates our worth with productivity and that we internalize that in terms of that means that what we do is a is proof of our worth. So perhaps that means that we make ourselves incredibly busy to prove that worth or it, it can feel like there's this relentless demand and it's really hard to determine then when is enough because in many ways there's nothing wrong with being productive. The days that we do the thing can feel electric. <laughs> I like the fact that you point out, and it never occurred to me before, that all of those suggestions like, well, make a to-do list and cross them off lead to more stress. Similarly, saying things like, you know, find time to just kind of calm down. Well, actually, I'm getting really agitated now because I don't have time to do that as well well as everything else in my list. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I, I feel this very intimately because I think that my whole curiosity was really driven by feeling like in comparison to other people, I felt like I was falling short and feeling behind and I wasn't getting it right. I wasn't I didn't have the right routine. I didn't have the right approach to being productive. My way of getting things done seemed counterintuitive. And so I really felt deflated and anxious and almost a sense of shame for, for not sort of keeping up with everybody else. So what that meant is that I, I turned to all of these hacks thinking, well, this is offering me a really neat solution. If, if only I 
get up at 5 a.m. And, and exercise and have bulletproof coffee and, 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 you know, do the miracle morning routine and all these, you know, fancy things, then I'll finally be a better human being and, and this will fix all of my woes. And then when the day arrived and I, I managed to sleep through the alarm or I didn't like the taste of butter in my coffee, I felt like it was another layer of guilt and shame. And so the hacks that promised a solution were actually something I became further entangled by. Well, I look forward to hearing some of your discoveries about ways to let go of this, but we're just going to take a short break. And we're back. So, Madeline, tell me how we can get rid of the should guilt. Oh, the should guilt. Yes, so we can really pile on many, many shoulds on our to-do list. When we inspect them closer, however, we can see that maybe there is more flexibility. Maybe something doesn't need to be done right now. Maybe it can be delegated. Maybe it doesn't need to be done at all. It's simply something that we've told ourselves we should do without sort of remembering that we're making up the rules. (laughs) Um, Shoulds can also come from other people um, and those can be a little bit trickier to untangle from because we can feel like we might be disappointing or letting someone else down if we don't, don't do this thing. But I think it's all the more important to perhaps inspect our list, even if that's a mental to-do list, and really look at, well, what is a should, which means it's something that we feel obligated to do And what is a true want? What is something that we actually want to do in this limited life that we have? Um, And and, and acknowledging our limitations can be incredibly powerful to decipher between the two. Really being honest with ourselves in terms of what could be a should and and letting go. It it can be really difficult, again, because we might be disappointing someone um, or we might need to even inspect our own identity like maybe we need to inspect our identity as a morning person um to let go of this idea that maybe getting up at 5 a.m is no longer searching um serving us um or maybe we don't have the same energy that we once did and we need to let go of of, of an old routine that's no longer serving us um and i think that can be really powerful to um yeah take an inventory of your shoulds and really see see what what kind of wants you can gravitate to instead That's a really interesting perspective, Madeline, because uh, there are the things that we have to do every day. For example, cook meals for ourselves, possibly take the kids to their sport, have meetings with our bosses. But do we need to be doing some of these other things like do we have to mop out the kitchen floor every single night? These are optional. So to stand outside our daily schedule and to just have a think about the things that we can offload and give time back to ourselves. Mm, exactly. And it's so interesting you say that because we, we can, even the have-tos can be a should in disguise, I think. So it's really worth probing and getting curious and really seeing what kind of things we have been told or comparing ourselves to other people. We saw this so much in the early stages of the pandemic, I think, of we saw everyone else making sourdough, so we thought that we should make sourdough. And it's really like, do you want to, though? <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, Madeline, that I think laziness is such a dirty word in our society. Um, mm. you, you talk about how we get hooked on busyness um, and the momentum we feel it gives to our days, which I guess is considered much more noble than, you know, I might just sit on the couch for a minute, have a <laughs> cup of tea, relax. 
Yeah. Oh, you're so right there, Andrea, in terms of this. It's always been this moral value that we've attached to busyness. And I think there's different varieties of busyness. There can be busyness that is completely circumstantial and there can be busyness that, you know, you meet people, it's almost a natural frequency. Like they they can squeeze a lot into their day and they love it. They thrive. They're not complaining about being busy. And, and maybe there's a bit of envy there, but there's also this other category of busyness, I think, which is very much busyness as a, a badge of honour to, again, what we were saying before about proving your worthiness to other people. And so that's, I think, what we've attached the the moral value to or we put on a pedestal or people who are who are proving their busyness are, are sort of um, seen as, um, you know, more important. And I think that when, it's, when we're doing it for that external validation or that sense of self-worth, there is an inevitable emptiness. Like you'll never be busy enough. At the same time, people might be using busyness as a badge of honour, but also complaining about how busy and burnt out they feel. And so then you think, well, isn't there a choice then (laughs) if you're making yourself busy in this sense? So I think that that's where um, it comes back to this idea of we've made busyness um, sort of aspirational, but then we are so quick to judge things as lazy when really I think there's so much more nuance in in things like rest and even what we call procrastination or what we call wasting time, if we really inspect those things, is it really a waste of time to be connecting with friends or having a moment like playing on on the playground with the kids in the park or to be having that silent, wonderful cup of tea, as you mentioned? Are these a waste of time or is this the joy of living? And like, what if we reframed that And instead of calling things lazy, we see things as having a moment of downtime can be enriching thinking. And if we overturn these labels, we could see that there's actually a a lot of richness in these experiences. I think it's interesting that when you talk about busyness, you also talk about the squeeze. And what will probably resonate with a lot of listeners is that feeling of that level of internal stress that manifests. That's super unhealthy, literally, it's making us unwell. So it's super important that we carve out a life that is paced in a way that is, you know, who we are. And as you're saying, we're not all built the same. And we have to stop making this busyness a badge of honour. How can we reframe that thinking around downtime? You know, it goes back to childhood when our parents might have seen us sitting down and come on, get off the couch, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. And internally, we start to feel that downtime is a waste of time. Yes, exactly. I think that it's in terms of how to reframe it, first of all, noticing it. So noticing that you're on this busyness hamster wheel, and that means that when you stop or you have that moment of downtime or rest, it, it's stressful because it's like, I can't do nothing. I've still got this to-do list to, to get through. <laughs> and so first of all, noticing that um, there is this level of pressure to be busy or to keep doing. And then once you've noticed, then you can get curious and you can ask yourself questions. Where is this coming from? Is it is it that as, as a child, having a moment of rest was sort of not allowed or, or seen as lazy? So looking at where the story comes from, or, or maybe it does come from this bigger societal pressure to always be doing and once we can get curious about it, we can start to sort of perhaps make those reframes of these things. I speak about in the book that this, they're part of the squeeze. Again, 
um, it doesn't have to be negative. Sometimes we enjoy the squeeze, but we also need the time to absorb. I think I'm going to actually make a sign for myself of your observation. Rest is not a moral failing. Yes. Yeah. It's incredibly important for us as human beings. And I think all of this comes back to remembering that we're human beings, not not perfect machines. <laughs> okay. And you touched on also the podcast series that you uh, created called Routines and Ruts, where you interviewed successful people to try and find the secret that you two could copy to be more productive. So what did you learn? The project um, gun back in 2014, when I was very much looking for the secret to productivity. And that project was was actually written interviews. So that was called Extraordinary Routines. And I thought that if I could find the most extraordinary routine, then I too could become extraordinary. <laughs> and I, I very quickly saw that actually, instead of getting this secret, what I found was that, wow, these people that I really admire, who I think have it all figured out, don't feel like they've got it figured out either. They also feel like they're wasting time or that they compare themselves to other people and, you know, they procrastinate or they still have things to do on their to-do list. And so in in time, I saw that actually that's that's more interesting to me. All right. Well, let's um, take a short break and then come back and talk about the joy things. Perimenopause can actually start in your 40s. Declining estrogen production during perimenopause brings on changes to menstrual cycles and often the onset of hot flushes, night sweats, mood swings and sexual problems. Promensal Peri is specifically designed for perimenopausal women and can help relieve these common menopausal symptoms. Promensal Peri is available at leading pharmacies across Australia and offers a cost-effective treatment at under $1 a day. When things start to change, try Promensal Perry. Always read the label and follow the directions for use. I like your suggestion that you create a list of joy things to, to actually write down hmm, what, are the, what are the little bits of my day that are really nice. Exactly. So when you encounter them, I think that if, you've, if you feel yourself in that moment of joy and you're like, hang on a second, I, I've, I've been in a rut and here I am, you know, with a good feeling, write it down. What is it that you're doing? Who are you speaking with? Or um, where are you? Because I think it's that act of noticing. And then once you notice these these good things, you can create that list. Reminder, I keep it in my phone. <laughs> um, so I think after a while, those small good things pile up and we we find ourselves in a new rhythm again because we're inserting these good things back into our days. And you've got a phrase that I like called holding things lightly. What does this mean? Be it an expectation, be it an aspiration for a new fancy shiny routine that will make my days a breeze or a to-do list. It's a reminder to hold things lightly. The day's bound to unfold differently to how we expect. So if we hold it lightly, we won't crush ourselves in that feeling of productivity guilt because we're open, we're flexible. Um, we're able to sort of go with that ebb and flow a little bit more. Um, they, there can be moments of procrastination in, in that day. And instead of judging them, seeing them as like, no, this is still the crucial thinking part of the work. And I'm still working, even if it doesn't look like, you know, um, very rigid, particular type of work that there, there's still thinking happening. And so I think that that's what's interesting is that, um, seeing that trying to apply the value to many different parts of our day, whether you work nine to five or you're a freelancer and seeing that 
maybe going for that walk at lunchtime is the very thing that helps fuel the afternoon work. Um, so, But I think that's the other thing, that if you don't go for that walk, don't beat yourself up. Madeline, thanks so much for joining us today. That's all for today's episode, and thanks for listening. And thanks to our sponsors at ProMensal. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast and rate and leave a review. Also, why not pick up a copy of Prevention Magazine and follow us on Facebook or Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next time. <music>